everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about joy. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to do one thing and ask you to do another. I want to invite you to download a free resource that we are giving away with this series. For this series of sermons on joy, we produced a companion devotional booklet. It's over 50 pages long. It has devotional entries for each day that I'm not preaching. I really do think it is something that would be valuable to your spiritual life. And you can get it for absolutely free. All you have to do is go to wilsonville.church joy. That's wilsonville.church joy. And click on the download booklet button. I also want to ask you to leave a rating or review if you find this sermon particularly helpful to you. When you leave a rating or review on your podcast host, it helps our sermons be heard by more people, and we think that that is super important. And So please do that if you feel led to do so. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So, if you know me, this won't come as a surprise. If you don't, uh, it might. But I, if I struggle with anything, it's, it's worry. And uh, it's something I've preached on a lot through the years because, because it is, you know, biblically something we're not supposed to do. And I, I think every time I do one of those sermon series, I'm like trying to figure it out for myself. Um, I come from a family of worriers. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably the best at not doing it, but uh, I've had to really work at that. And it, it's just natural for me to be stressed. And I've, I've said this in a sermon before, but my wife and I had a conversation like, I don't know, three, four years ago, like six years into our marriage, where I'm like, you know that like feeling like where you're, you're like, you know, you just feel worrisome, nervous, like, you know that? And she's like, not really really? And, and I'm like, I feel it all the time. Like, I don't even know what I'm worried about. I'm just worrying, you know, like right now I'm worried about something. I, I couldn't tell you what it is. Um, normally I keep it in check. It doesn't control my life. It doesn't lead to some of the things that worry can lead to. Can lead to. Um, but there, there was one time when, when anxiety really, really won the day. And uh, it was just shortly after I was hired at this church a long time ago now. Uh, and I, I gone to a, a football game in Seattle, and I was coming back with a friend of mine. There was some stuff going on in my life, most of it created by myself, uh, and and I hadn't eaten a lot, factored in, and I drank a lot of coffee that day. And all of a sudden, uh, I was anxious, and the anxiety kept building into the point where I was like, I don't think I'm breathing properly. And that makes you really anxious when you don't think you're breathing correctly. And it kept building and building and building until I said to my friend, uh, who's a good friend, I said, we got to pull over. I'm dying. I'm dying right here. And I I then, uh, it's only funny looking back, right? Uh, But I made him call 911 and I, I was laying on some fast food 
floor. I don't know where we were because I was dying. And, and all of a sudden, the EMTs were there, and they took me to the hospital. I would never get in an ambulance again because uh, it was very expensive. Uh, and I, yeah, you know, if you've ever been in an ambulance, like, kill me first, uh, then put me in the ambulance. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was a panic attack, as it turns out. There was, in fact, nothing wrong with me except anxiety. And that's the problem with worry and anxiety and fear and stress, right? Is that a lot of times it's the only thing that's the problem. Like there's, there's no real other problem. All the other stuff that we're stressed about or anxious about or worried about, like it's not that big a deal, but the actual anxiety, worry, stress, fear, I'm going to use them pretty interchangeably in this sermon, it's that that actually is the problem. And as we finish this series on joy this morning, uh, I'm going to do a bonus sermon online, so you can look for that this week, uh, because I had scheduled another sermon, and it's, uh, it didn't fit anymore, and so uh, look for that online. I'm going to preach one into a camera that you'll be able to hear and see, uh, but as we finish here on Sunday mornings, this sermon series on worry, I think we come to a fitting place in this book of Philippians, because Paul has some stuff to say about anxiety about worry and we know this we know that being anxious worrying it's like one of the greatest things that stands in the way of joy I won't make you raise your hand because I'll assume it's everybody but who has had a, a perfectly fine afternoon ruined just by worry not something that actually happened to us just like you think something's going to happen you know you have a doctor's appointment the next day and, and the doctor's appointment turns out perfectly fine you're just fine you have nothing wrong with you but the whole day before was ruined because you were worried about the doctor's appointment or somebody calls you and and says we need to talk I've had some days ruined like that, like, we need to talk, and you're like, oh, no, what did I do? What's happening? She's breaking up with me, you know, like, what's, like, you know what I mean? And, and, and nothing happens. The talk is like, hey, you're doing a great job, and I really appreciate you. But the day before is ruined by anxiety, by worry. Worry, anxiety, fear, stress, it, it, it is it is one of the things, it is maybe the biggest thing that stands in the way of us having, having joy. This thing that we've looked at over the course of five weeks, this thing that I think we all want, joy, this feeling of happiness, and, and as Christians, this feeling of happiness that transcends our circumstances. We all want it, but we won't have it while we are worried. I think they're, they're like mutually exclusive to some points. You can't be joyful and be stressed at the same time. It just doesn't work out very well. And, and, and here's, here's what's so awesome is that, that Paul gets near the end of his letter to this, this church in Philippi. Now remember, he's writing this while he's under house arrest, maybe chained to a guard. He's awaiting a trial that will determine whether or not he lives or dies. And... And he's written this beautiful book that says a lot, but it, it really says a lot about joy and having it and how it's found in Jesus. We'll talk about that in a second. But right near the end, we're going to see this. He gives us one more, one more command to be joyful. And then he pauses and he says, here's how you deal with anxiety. Here's how you deal with anxiety. We'll get to that in a minute, but let's see how he starts in Philippians 4.4. 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Peter T. O'Brien, who I've quoted a lot in this series, wrote a big book on the book of Philippians, wrote this about the meaning. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord at all times, regardless of what may come upon you. There's two things that are huge about this, this, this first verse right here. Just rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And, and the first thing that's huge is, is it reminds us of what we've seen throughout this series, that joy in the Lord, joy as a Christian is something that we can always have. It is not based on how good life is going or how bad life is going. It's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on how people are treating you. It's not based on what's going on in your life, how work is progressing, how successful you are, how cool people think you are. It's not based on any of that. Joy in the Lord is something that we can have all the time. I'll repeat this, something I've said a couple of times in the series. If you were to go back to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, before Jesus was born, before Jesus lived a sinless life, before Jesus died on a cross, and before Jesus got out of the grave, the Jewish people, their joy was tied up, wrapped up in how good things were for them. They were joyful when God gave them an abundance of food. They were not joyful when he didn't. They were joyful when they had a great victory in battle. They were not joyful when they lost a battle. They were joyful when their kingdom was moving forward and they were beating up the other nations around them. They were not joyful when they were oppressed by the nations around them. But once Jesus came, everything changed for Jewish men and women who came to believe that Jesus was the savior in the world. It didn't ma- savior of the world. It didn't matter what they faced, it didn't matter what they went through. They constantly and consistently and always expressed joy. Joy in the Lord is something that we can have at all times. And Paul reminds us of that once more by saying, look, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Like no matter what, rejoice. And remember, rejoicing is simply the expression of joy. The word means to joy. It's the verbal form of the noun joy. It just means we express this joy that we have, that we've been given by God. And we can do it always no matter what circumstance we're facing, no matter what we go through, no matter how bad things are. We can joy. The other thing that's really important about this and this is maybe a little harder, a little bit less likable, and that's that joy is, is commanded of us here or rejoicing is commanded of us here. That's kind of interesting, right? Because I think, and I've tried to talk you out of this as this series has gone on, but, but throughout this series, I, I just, I feel like, like the response will be, I would love to do that, but that's really low on my agenda. I would love to be joyful, but all these steps to have joy, like, you know, I mean, how important is it really? It's not like, you know, the Ten Commandments or something. But here, Paul, to this church in Philippi, and as an extension to us, says you should rejoice always. Rejoice. It's a command. It's not something that, that we can argue over. It's not something that, that we can get to when we want to. It's something that God, through his word, through the Apostle Paul, has said this is, this is something you do as a Christian like, you don't lie, you know, and, by the way, less talked about in Christian circles than, you know, all the sins, the to-do list of things, or the not-to-do list that we have, but you are, you are, if you're a Christian, you are to rejoice, you're to express joy, it's part of, it's part of the deal, it's part of what it means to live as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And so Paul says, look, you can do it always, and, and it's something you, you're supposed to do, and it's all done, one more reminder of this, in the Lord. 
in the Lord. And, and we've seen throughout the book what this means. The whole series really is about uh, what that phrase means, in the Lord. And it, it means so much. It means we rejoice because of the relationships that God has given us. If you could go back in your minds five weeks ago. And, and that's the first thing that we saw is that Paul rejoiced because he had these people in his life, this church in Philippi, that he loved, that he was a partner with in the gospel, people that, that helped him tell others about Jesus, people that helped him live for Jesus, people that he helped live for Jesus, people that, that were in partnership with this thing called the gospel, that Jesus came, died for our sins, and then rose again so that we might have eternal life. And we saw that Paul makes pretty clear, like, part of rejoicing in the Lord is rejoicing in and on the relationship relationships that that God has given us as Christians the people we go to church with the people that we share spiritual things with we've seen that it's about what we have someday right like we get to go to heaven someday and so no matter what's thrown at us no matter what we deal with on this earth that's part of rejoicing in the Lord is that ultimately we come out on top we win right we get to go to heaven because of what Jesus has done but we've seen it's more than that it's it's based on the relationship that we have with Jesus not just on what Jesus gives us in our forgiveness and our hope and our peace and all the blessings he gives us but also just in having a relationship with Jesus and so to rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in in everything that Paul has declared in Philippians, but to summarize it even more, to generalize it even more, it's to rejoice in everything that we have as Christians because of our relationship to God through what Jesus did on a cross and in getting out of the grave. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. You can't rejoice in everything all the time, right? You can't rejoice in your success because sometimes you won't be successful. You can't rejoice in your money. You can't rejoice in your relationships. You can't rejoice in your house or your other items that you have. But you can always, you can rejoice in those things sometimes. You can. Those are good things to rejoice about most of them, right? But you can't always rejoice in them. You can always rejoice in the Lord. You can always have joy in the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this is, is, is what, what follows, some people have said, is, is what characterizes joy. This is what it looks like inside and outside when you actually have joy. Another person has, has called it uh, an analysis of joy. Like you can analyze your joy based on these next couple of things. And I think that's pretty good. But the first one, this will be so clear because in verse 5 he says, Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near now gentleness we think of as just you know like a kindergarten teacher that's what I think of right like you're always in your high voice and you're always like really talking at people hey how are you today like you know what I mean like that's I think how we kind of picture gentle but but the Greek word that translates gentleness here it doesn't really it doesn't really mean that per se, how we think of it in English. It's an interesting word. It's a word that people uh, have worked hard to nail down a, a strict definition of, but it's, it's something like this. This will be a little wordy, and then I'll give you a less wordy one. But a humble, patient steadfastness, which is able to submit to injustice, disgrace, and maltreatment without hatred or malice, trusting God in spite of it all. What? Uh, so let me give you a shorter uh, definition. It's like gentleness that contains an element of selflessness. So like what we think of as being gentle, but it contains this element of 
my needs, my wants, my desires, they're not first. Other people's, people's are. Uh, it could be defined like this, gentle and patient self-control. It's pretty good, right? It's like if somebody yells at you when you're driving down the road, the gentleness spoken of here is, is the ability to go, that's okay, they're probably having a bad day. Instead of flipping them the bird or whatever, you know, like that's the opposite. Yelling back, chasing them down, getting right on their bumper, maybe running into them if you're over the top. I've heard stories of people pulling guns recently because somebody cut them off on the road. My wife thinks that people cut them off if they happen to get on the freeway four miles down the road. I like it. She'll, oh, they cut me off. Like they're four miles ahead of us. I like, so that, I mean, my wife's pretty gentle, but not in those moments necessarily. And so that's the opposite of gentle. Road rage, I guess, is what I'm saying, is the opposite of, of what Paul means by gentleness. Jesus is the perfect example of this. In 1 Peter 2.23, we read this of him, of him. When they hurled their insult at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I like this statement. Listen to this. Gentleness is how personal joy affects those around us. Consider, right, like when you're joyful, in the moments you're joyful, the small things that people do that could easily irritate you, they just don't have the same effect anymore. Like your spouse, you know, this is on my end, something I would do, doesn't put the dishes in the dishwasher. And when you have joy, it's like, eh, whatever, I'll put it in there. But when, when you're suffering from a lack of joy, it doesn't express itself in gentleness, right? And we think like, well, they just made me mad. But what we should probably start to, according to Paul, and I think this is true as I just processed it, what we should probably start to do when something small makes us very angry is say, why don't I have joy right now? What's wrong with my life? Why am I not focused on Jesus in a way that is producing joy because a lack of joy produces a lack of gentleness and an abundance of joy produces an abundance of gentleness I think we know that that, that's true right like like we we can picture I can picture characters in movies that are just joyful right and 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 things that people do around them don't bother them and that usually bothers people but the one that that comes to mind is Belle from Beauty and the Beast and they have that opening scene and and she's singing her song and she's reading her books and she just has this joyous persona to her and it it doesn't bother her that everybody around her is making fun of her doesn't like her that she doesn't fit in because because there's kind of a natural a natural joy in Belle this character that Disney has given us and it and it's the truth and so if you're like how do I gauge my joy which we probably haven't thought that or said that but if you were to say how can I gauge my joy look at how gentle how self-controlled you are even in the face of what you deem to be injustice when people aren't treating you the way that you deserve to be treated see how how gentle you are how in control you are how kind you are back to them despite the things that they've done done to you if you're not then probably there's a lack of joy and you need to go back and listen to this sermon series again, read the book of Philippians again. If you are, then probably you're finding joy in the Lord. 
Now, Paul says this other thing at the end of verse five. He says, uh, the Lord is near, and it's probably meant to be, again, double entendre, which means uh, in, in this situation that, that Paul is saying, look, be gentle because God is near, but also what I'm about to say is connected to the nearness of God. And, and, and the nearness of God, again, probably refers to two different things. Paul is probably saying, look, God is near to you. We believe that. As Christians, Paul's talked about the spirit already, that like when we become Christians, God's spirit indwells us. He comes into our lives, that God is with us, that God guides us, that he's there for us. We have this really weird idea in modern American Christian circles, like I, God seems far away from me right now. I, I remember talking like that as, uh, you know, a new focused on Jesus person. Uh, like God seems far away, but the reality, is even if God seems far away to you, God, if you're a Christian, is near to you. God is with you. He's listening to you. I mean, Jesus died so that you could have access to God, so that your prayers could get up to heaven. I mean, the book of Revelation describes our prayers as going up as a fragrant offering, a good smelling thing to God. Like God is near to you. God is with you. God is by your side. And God is coming soon. Now that written a couple thousand years ago, it's like, what, you know? But, but this idea that the New Testament paints for us over and over is that we, maybe not in our own like thinking and how we view soon, you know, because we're, you know, finite humans who will die in 80 some years, right? Somewhere around there if we're lucky. Uh, but, but Jesus is coming soon on God's, God's timetable. And we should always live in a way that, that is considering the fact that Jesus is coming soon. We should always live like Jesus is about to return right now. Like he could come back at any moment and, and say, here, I'm here, I'm setting up my eternal kingdom. This whole world, as you know, it is, is done. The New Testament's really clear on that. The people lived like Jesus was coming back right now, like he's coming. Jesus himself gives parables that say like, you would be stupid to act and live in a way that it's like I'm not coming back for a long time. He gives these parables of servants to a master and it's like the servants are like, well, we don't need to do what, what the master said because he's not gonna be back for a long time and the master shows up and it doesn't go well for them. And so we should live especially when it comes to joy and especially when it comes to being gentle with others and especially considering what's said next, we should live knowing that God is with us. He's present in our midst and Jesus will come back like really soon. And then, and then Paul says this big thing, this, this really the, the two key verses for us this morning. He said, rejoice always. He said, look, be gentle. God's near to you. And then verse six, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Gordon D. Fee, a famous biblical author, says, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Now, 
I know you're, you're just going to be like, oh, it's just we pray. Like, that's, that's how I get rid of anxiety. Like, come on, you, I thought you had something better, something more magical. And we'll talk about why I think this is true in, in just a second. But I, I want to point out a couple of things before I do that. First, Paul uses three words for prayer here. And uh, what's interesting about that is that people try to make distinctions between what these words mean, but they're really poor distinctions. You know, they don't really hold up with arguments. And, and, and so really, Paul probably uses these three words to really emphasize that we pray on every occasion, in every situation, with all kinds of prayers and requests, that we are, the, the NIV, the, what they try to get out here, we're praying with every kind of prayer and in every situation that we can think of. If you're like, should I pray about that? Paul's like, yes. I use three different words to tell you that you should pray about that. Well, is that too small for God? No, you should pray about it. Or is that too big for God? Like, well, yeah, you should pray about that too. And so Paul is, is just trying to make really clear here that we need to be people who pray about everything. I mean, and he says in every situation, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, Pray, pray, pray. Now, my first thought was like, this is the cop-out answer. Ready? And this is what I did. First approaching this passage, I'm like, I pray I'm still worried. Right? Like, I do pray. But then I really, I just, I've pondered this because I think, I mean, I always come into the Bible going, it's right. And, uh, and so uh, I'm a guy that, that definitely trust the Bible first and then figures it out second. So full disclosure there. But I come, in, I come into it going, this is right. So what, what am I thinking incorrectly about this? And, and here's, it's just, it, it, for me, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it didn't take much thinking. And it's like, yeah, I pray. But have I ever, at any point in my life, have I ever really taken seriously praying about everything have I ever even right like taken seriously praying about everything I'm worried about stressed about scared of fearful of have I ever done that and and I don't know maybe you're better than me and you have maybe you've tried and it's failed but I can honestly say no and when I even consider how I pray about things that I'm stressed about it's like God help I'm out, you know, like that's, that's it. Like, it's not a threefold pray, 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 you know. It's, it's not that serious. And, and, and I'm convinced, I really am, that if I took this seriously, if I really said, I don't want to be anxious anymore, I want to have all the joy that I can have in the Lord, I'm going to pray about absolutely everything that I'm stressed about, that I'm anxious about, that I'm scared of. I think it would, what we'll see in a second, would come true. That God would protect us from anxiety. But I don't think we do that. I think we, we go like this, I should pray more. We say that all the time, right? And I hate that. And if you've been at the church, I'm sorry I say this in like every sermon. I'm really against this idea that we should pray and read the Bible more. Uh, because I think that's just the wrong place to start. We, we should value 
scripture so much that it causes us to read the Bible more and we should understand the importance of prayer so much that we just naturally pray more. And, and this idea that like, I, I gotta get 20 minutes in, that's, that's a, you're just, it's gonna start wrong. It's like saying I should work out more. You're not gonna do it until you're like, I want to be healthy, right? And then you might have a chance to work out more because you're like, I want to be healthy and I see the benefits of this. That's what I, that's what I think about prayer and reading the Bible. And here, this isn't pray more. This is, do you want to worry all the time anymore? Do you want to be anxious about stuff? Or do you want the joy that Jesus has offered you by giving his life for you? And if you want that, then you need to be a person who says, I will pray about everything. In every situation, I will pray. I mean, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that might result in like hours of prayer, right? I mean, that might result in you just praying more and more and more. And you have to rearrange your schedule or get out of bed earlier, stay up later and lose some sleep because you're like, I really don't want to be stressed. I want joy. But if we just prayed and every, and I mean, like I mentioned earlier, like sometimes we're just like, like, well, that one is too big for God or that one is too small for God. But Paul is, I think it's beautiful. He's giving us this opportunity as he's inspired by God to just to lay it all out there. Nothing too big, nothing too small. We just bring it all before God and say, God, this is what I need help with. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm stressed about. This is what is hard. This is what's freaking me out about tomorrow. Like this, this here's everything I can think of. I lay it at your feet. Now, there's a promise attached, which also is awesome, right? Because when we have a promise attached to things in the Bible, it's pretty rare that we get these promises in the Bible. A lot of times, like, don't do it because God doesn't want you to. It may not work out as well for you, but don't do it anyway. Or do this, and sorry if there's consequences, but do it anyway. And this one has, has this pretty straightforward promise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now there's one more thing that we need to, to focus on that, that lends itself to this, and that's that we pray, and this is part we don't do either. We pray about everything, and we do it with Thanksgiving. I don't know if you noticed that word in there, with Thanksgiving. And I've said this already in this series, and it bears repeating because it's so important. If Paul's saying again, you know, at the beginning and the end of his letters, this is really important. We pray a lot, but when we pray, it sounds pretty selfish. God, I need this, 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 and this. Have a nice evening. Going to bed now. But if you want this promise that we just read to be true, Paul says to pray with Thanksgiving giving. We ought to be thanking God for things. It's not just that we pray about every situation. It's that no matter what situation we're asking God about it and we're thanking God for all the things that he has done. This is supernatural. Supernatural. I didn't even mean to say. This is natural to a to a new Christian or to kids. Have you ever prayed with somebody who's a brand new Christian? I think of uh, my cousin Joe and I always loved praying with Joe because he didn't really grow up in church till he was in high school more and middle school, high school. But, but he had this just like very just natural way of praying and you'd bow your head with Joe and, and he would just be like, 
God, it's sunny. I'm so thankful for that. Like, God, thank you that I have these friends with me today. And nobody was like, hey, Joe, in Philippians, it says that when you pray, you should pray with thanksgiving. And if you don't want to be stressed out all the time, you should just. It was natural. Praying with my daughter, she's just started to do it. She was like too embarrassed or shy or whatever. But Hazel, are you still in here? Um, Hazel has started to pray. We take turns in our prayers. There she is waving at me in the back. Um, and, and Hazel, she goes first. And, and almost every time her prayer starts like this. Jesus, I just love you, and I love the people in our church. And then she starts listening, many of you by name. It's really natural, right? I'm pretty sure Hazel isn't stressed out. She's not looking for a way out of our stress, her stress. It's just natural. But sometime, as we move through this journey of Christianity, we just get rid of all that, right? It's not like, Jesus, I just love you. It's like, well, we might start with that as like some formality. Jesus, we love you, and here's my list of things that I need you to do for me. And Paul is attached to this promise that we're going to talk about. That I'm going to illustrate in just a second. This wonderful promise to praying on all occasions, to praying about it all. No matter what you're facing, praying about it. And doing it with thanksgiving. Doing it with thanksgiving. Saying, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and what you've done. And God, I thank you for this. I mean, if you have somebody hard at work, right? Like, hey, God, I thank you for them and that you created them and that you love them. And even though they're difficult for me, I, I thank you that you've given me an opportunity to minister. I mean, like, thank you. And, and, and if you want this promise, you, I'm just, that's it. You have to do those things. And here's, again, the promise. The promise is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the peace of God means peace the way we think about it, this nice feeling, emotion. But, but for Paul, probably writing as a Jewish Christian, Paul was a Jewish Christian, this word peace, you've heard shalom, right? He probably has shalom as the backdrop of this word. And shalom is this word that means wholeness. It goes beyond just feeling good. It's like being good. It's like not like in a moral sense, but like I'm in a good place right now. I think that's how like... You know, people that aren't Christians especially would say, like, I'm just in a really good place right now. And, and, and that's what he's getting at. Like, we're in a, we are in a good place. It's good. Peace, wholeness just fills our lives, our souls. Like, we are in a good place no matter what's going on around us. And so it says here that this peace, this goodness, this good thing that God will give you, this thing that transcends all understanding, and I love that, because as we pray in every situation and we thank God, it's not going to fix everything. This is not God saying, yeah, I'll take away the cancer. This is not God saying, yeah, I'll make them just like you want them to be. This is not God saying, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll give you all the money that you ask for. It's not that. It's God saying, look, if you'll do this, then I will give you this wonderful peace and it will go beyond what you can understand. Man, I have no way of paying my bills, but I still have peace. Man, that person still really is terrible, but I have peace. God, like I don't have a clue how you're going to fix this, but I have peace. God, I'm so sick, but I have peace. That's what it's saying. And it says that that peace will guard our hearts and our minds. What we think about, what we feel. That's all Paul's saying. It will guard what we think about and how we think and how we feel. That is an incredible promise 
This word for guard is a, is a word that, that means, uh, it's a military term, like if it was a military term for protecting a city, like you'd be on the outside guarding the city gates or whatever. And what we have here is a beautiful picture of the God of peace as he's referred to in verse nine. The God of peace protecting us with his peace. It goes beyond anything that we understand. One commentary said it this way, peace totally transcends our merely human way of perceiving the world. I love that. Peace is a characteristic of God which invades our souls, which protects our souls. It's like this, I think. Um, So I'll bring it out. I'm gonna bring it out now. So the most scared I've ever been is not, in fact, when I thought I was dying because of a panic attack. Uh, thank you to Randall for letting me borrow this very old-fashioned golf club. Um, it was not on a golf course either, and some of you have heard this story, uh, and so forgive me. It's one of my best. It's like the time I met Robin Williams. Um, and uh, so I was house-sitting for my maternal grandparents, and they have a house up on a hill in West Salem, and one side of this house is pretty much all windows. And I was there, I was supposed to be house-sitting for like four or five nights, and uh, the first night I was there, the, the dog, Coda, who's since died, but uh, started barking. And he's at this bathroom window, which is kind of underground, and he starts barking, and I go outside, and my grandparents have kind of this long, very steep driveway, and at the top of it, there's kind of an extra parking spot of gravel. And, and there's a car parked up there. It's like 3.30 in the morning. And there's a car parked at, this long, at the top of this long hill with their lights on. And, and then they drive off when I look like, oh, man. So the next night, the floodlights, the ones that are censored, right, stops turning on all of a sudden. So I go to the garage and I get a golf club and I'm now sleeping by a golf club, which I didn't know at the time. It was the only thing they had and it was about this old. Um, And I didn't know this at the time, but apparently golf clubs can do more damage than a baseball bat. So if you sleep next to a baseball bat, get a golf club. Uh, Just a little tip for you. But I start sleeping next to this golf club uh, because I'm like, somebody knows I'm here alone and they're going to murder me. Like, this is bad. Like, I'm going down. They've shut the lights off. They know when I sleep. They know that there's a dog. They're probably gonna poison the dog tomorrow and the next day I'm a goner. These are the things that are going through my head. And I walk in on the third night, open the door, Coda runs up to me and glass shatters downstairs. And my heart goes, boom, like this. I'm like, I'm like paralyzed. Like first thing I do is I leave and I leave the dog inside. Good luck, Coda. And then I'm like, okay, they literally have me in this house to protect this house. I go like home alone for a second, you know, like this is my house and I will defend it, (laughs) except I don't. Instead, I go get a cell phone and the dog. I think I ought to save the dog's life. And I call the police and drive to a grocery store and we come back. This is the embarrassing part. I'm with the big burly police officers at this point. They make me park down the road and they go in and they come back down. And a light fixture had fallen (laughs) and broken. And as it turns out in this story, 
I had shut the floodlight off with a switch on accident. And as it turns out, my grandpa used to wake up uh, b before he was retired at about 3.30 or 4 in the morning to walk the dog. And so Coda was just barking because because that was his time to go to the bathroom. And I have no idea why the person was parked in the driveway. It was just a coincidence. And I'll tell you, that's what fear does, right? Fear, even if it's over nothing, ruins the day. It causes us to run away, and it really prevents us from having any semblance of the joy that we ought to have. And, and what God is saying is, not like I'm a golf club for when you get scared. That's not what God's saying. He is not saying like, hey, bring me out and swing me around and take away all the bad stuff in your life and you don't have to worry anymore. What he's saying is if you become a person that is praying in every situation and you're a person who prays with thanksgiving, then I'm gonna be the the protector of your soul in the first place so that the fear never comes, so that the anxiety and worry don't trickle in. But you have to learn to be that person in the first place. And when anxiety strikes, it's so easy to be paralyzed in fear that I'm like this. Like, here's, here's my natural response when I'm super stressed about something. I want to do something to take my mind off of it. And so I sit there in this half-worried place, I don't know, playing a video game or trying to get out of the house or whatever, trying not to be stressed, this half-worried place, not really enjoying anything, just trying to forget about what I'm worried about. But what God is saying is, no, come to me and pray, and then I'll protect you from the stress. And he finishes with this other thing that, that I think is, is so important. Like, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the, notice this again, the God of peace will be with you. I mean, be a person that prays in every situation with thanksgiving. Do that, but also think about the things of God as much as you can and live a life that reflects the life that God has called you to. And if you'll do this, then I'm telling you that the anxiety will go away and the joy will go up. I mean, the reality is this anxiety stands in the way of joy, but God stands in the way of anxiety when we live for him and when we pray with thanksgiving. Anxiety stands in the way of joy, but God stands in the way of anxiety when we pray with thanksgiving. Gordon D. Fee again says, apprehension and fear mark the life of the unbelieving, untrusting person for whom the present is all there is and for whom the present is so uncertain. But as Christians, we are to be free of anxiety and we are to be full of joy. Now, two things, two takeaways. I mean, Anxiety stands in the way of joy and God stands in the way of anxiety. I want you to remember that phrase. But 
too, like it's so easy to make that general and leave here and do nothing different. And so I'm just gonna ask you the question, right? Like it's not one to answer out loud. What is it that you're worried about right now? Because whatever that is, spend more time in prayer about it. Like really leave this place and pray, pray, pray and thank God while you're doing it. Do not leave here and go, yep, that's a sweet idea. I'll just stay in this life of worry and stress and anxiety because it, it's, it's not fun. And you, if you want joy, you can't do it. So really consider, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but really consider what you're stressed about. And then make it a point, at least for this week, but hopefully always, to just spend so much time in prayer and then thank God. And then, and then this other challenge, and you can write this one down. I want you to read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I have a sermon series on it. We'll put that out on Facebook this week. But read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And while you're doing those t- two things, remember that anxiety stands in the way of joy and God stands in the way of anxiety. Let me pray. Lord, as we finish this series, like, I just, I just, I want us to be a church that is characterized by joy in you. Not joy in our relationships, not joy in, uh, you know, the fun things that we might do as a church, God, but really joy in you and all that you've given us. And I know, God, we, for whatever reason, have a lot of people in our congregation. Maybe that's, you know, universal and I just don't know. But we have a lot of people, God, who, who really struggle with anxiety, who really struggle with worry. That's pretty normal in our congregation. And I pray, God, that that, that would no longer be normal. Not like this morning, but over time, God, because we would become a church that replaces anxiety with prayer in every situation and and thanksgiving in the midst of those prayers. God, I know that a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of people apart from you that (laughs) their entire lives could be characterized by anxious. They struggle deeply with anxiety. I know it seems like most people that I interact with regularly that that are not Christians, God, they they can barely sleep at night because their anxiety is so intense. God, I pray that if anybody sits before me that doesn't know you and love you and follow you, that they would make a decision to do that, God, because they're never gonna get over their anxiety without you. God, I pray that same thing for those who will listen online and I hope that some of those people I just mentioned will. And God, I pray that they'd give their lives to you so that they can spend eternity in heaven and and so that they can sleep at night. God, I thank you for all the gifts that we have in you. They are incredible. They're life-changing. And I pray, God, that we would have so much joy because of them. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.